Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Rob Harris. He is author of We're In This Together, A Caregiver Story. He is a coach and a speaker and founder of RobCares.com. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to have you here today to share about some of your journey and talk about your new book. But before we talk about what's happening currently and, and what led up to the book writing, can you share with the listeners some of your story, perhaps some of your past, and how things kind of evolved for you? Sure, be glad to. Well, it actually begins back in 1990, long time ago. My wife found out she had her first episode of cancer. Back then, it was a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It went pretty well. We had a very good chance of survival. She did outpatient chemotherapy and a lot of radiation. And we were told at that point it would not come back. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they were wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did come back. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, and what they didn't realize back then, was when you do radiation to a certain part of the body, there's a chance that another form of cancer could occur and a much more deadly version of it. Mm. That's what happened to us. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we we ended up with a... And I say we, but my wife and I are, have been in this journey together from day one, so it, it feels like a we. Uh, but in 2006, she had a reoccurrence and a different form of cancer called a leomyosarcoma. Mm. And at that time, we were told that her chances of survival were 28%, and we probably wouldn't make it to the next holiday season and that was told to us in the summertime. Wow. So <laughs> I, ha- I have we, to agree with you on not wanting to hear these things that oftentimes aren't, don't come true for us, and that's a good thing. Absolutely. We certainly didn't believe that we were going to end it all right then and there. They also told us that she had to have her leg amputated within 72 hours, and mm-hmm. so we, we got hit with a double dose of crazy, and uh, mm-hmm. Fortunately, the, the epilogue is, it all turned out fine. She did have an amputation, but uh, that's a minor issue for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, life is certainly much more valuable when you look at it in those terms. Let's talk a little bit about the effects of having been married and then all of a sudden having to face dealing with cancer, because I know that's a significant point for a lot of people that I talk with that are family members of the person that becomes ill, whether it's cancer or something else. What happened for you personally, and how did you begin to deal with the feelings of this life change? Well, the first one wasn't as dramatic for me because I, at the time we were living in Maryland, and we had lots of family and friends that were there to help us. So life kind of went on. We, we did hire an au pair. Our, our children were very young at the time, so we did hire somebody to stay at our house and take care of the children. And I did a lot of traveling and that continued on. Other than being with my wife for the significant doctor's appointments and a lot of her chemotherapy, not much changed. Mm -hmm. But the second episode of cancer was a totally different animal Mm -hmm. because of the severity of it and the dramatic nature of the things that had to take place. She had eight surgeries. And along with that, some rather intense life changing experiences for both of us, 
I was fortunate in that I was able to set up my office in her hospital. We spent, we virtually lived in a hospital on and off for over a year while she went through her surgeries and chemotherapy. And it was a dramatic life change because mm-hmm. suddenly everything changes. Your mm-hmm. home life changes, your, your occupational interests change, and your focus on life changes dramatically. And also, you don't really know what to do. You have to learn what to do. Suddenly, you're a caregiver. The day before, you were just a regular dad and a regular husband. So Mm. it's dramatic. Yes, I can imagine. And those are all valid points to bring up and to share, That, which I think, again, is important about sharing your story and about what you do. People often feel like they're the only ones. Nobody understands. Nobody's been there. And yet these are very common things that, family members go through and and families as a whole when a diagnosis comes or a traumatic event. Well, it's very interesting because, and this is why I wrote the book and why I have a blog and all the different things I have, because I was so frustrated. I felt invisible. It was almost as if a caregiver doesn't exist. The doctors, the nurses, the family members all focus their attention on the patient And the caregiver is supposed to be that strong individual that just hangs in there, doesn't say a whole lot, and is just there to serve. And from that, I coined a phrase that caregivers are the silent heroes because we just kind of suffer alone. I didn't want to have that happen anymore, so I I decided it was time for me to do something about that. That's awesome. Yes, and very key point that you bring up because I think that that's so true. I was just talking with someone recently, and the husband just felt completely alone because he was handling the burden of the family unit and trying to be supportive of his wife going through treatment, things like that. So it is important that people realize what others are going through, the caregivers, and how to help. Before we talk more about the book, was there a point where you were fearful of her losing her life, and how did that impact you and change you, or or what was the outcome of that? Well, actually, she did lose her life. And uh, fortunately, we were able to bring her back. There were four different episodes where she was in intensive care and we weren't sure she was going to make it through the night. Mm -hmm. And the one time where her heart actually did stop beating uh, was dramatic. And I don't think we have enough time to explain, but everybody always wonders what happens to a person when their heart stops beating. What what do they see? Do they see the bright lights? What do they see? My wife saw a shopping center. She went shopping for purses. Wow. And she loved it because she didn't need a credit card. She was having a ball. She found everything she wanted. And I saw her change dramatically. I saw her head go down to her chin. And at the time, they had the crash cart there and everything else. And for some reason, I screamed out her name at the top of my lungs as the nurse was trying to throw me out of the room. Mm -hmm. And whatever that did, it brought her back. Mm-hmm. She said that's what it, that's what brought her back. From that moment on, our lives changed completely. We went from living normal lives to realizing that every single moment is precious and every minute that we're together is precious. Yes. And our lives have changed 180 degrees, and we have never been the same from that moment on. And we are thrilled that that event happened because we are so much happier as a result of that event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. And, of course, I've heard stories like that before and experienced different things like that myself so I can understand how life-changing and profound that is and I'm so happy that you shared that with the listeners. What led up to writing the book? You went through all these things with your wife and you've been the caregiver and the support system 
and obviously she's still here thriving, and that's awesome. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I wish I could tell you one of those epiphanies that just said I need to write a book, but it mm-hmm. didn't turn out that way. In fact, because I work as many hours as I do on my job, I'm a human resources person that has a very large um, area of responsibility. I work a lot of hours, and I also have a brother-in-law who's a professor and an author, a published author. He's my wife's brother, and he knew how much I went through. He knew how much I learned and how much I shared with him during the experience, and he started to bother me. He started to bug me and nudge Mm -hmm. me and say, you need to write something. You Mm -hmm. need to write a book. Well, he bothered me for a year. Mm -hmm. And then finally he said, all right, here's the deal. Write, just write one chapter. And if you don't like it, then put the pen down and stop. And if you do, then keep going. Mm -hmm. I started to write. And I realized all these emotions and all of these feelings that I had pent up because I didn't share them. I, I decided it was time to share them, and it just started pouring out. And it felt great to write a book and tell my story. And my wife didn't even know my emotions. When she read the book, she was kind of surprised. That's powerful. And I think that happens often, is that we start to write. Someone encourages us or nudges us to do so, and that just opens the floodgates of a lot of things that are inside of us, a lot of things that need to be dealt with and healed. Was that your experience? Did you find some healing in that whole process? I really did. And I also felt that the more that I was writing the story of our lives, which is what the book is about, it, it's actually a combination love story. And forgive me, I, I don't mean to make cancer sound like an adventure, but for us it turned out to be an adventure mm-hmm. of how we dealt with cancer and how we dealt with laughter and having fun and enjoying every moment we had. Mm-hmm. I found that I was also adding 70 caregiver tips in the book, and each tip that I thought of going, all right, this is what I learned, this is what I taught myself, this is what somebody showed me, I realized how valuable it could be for caregivers that have never gone through this before. Rather than experiencing it for the first time, they can learn from my mistakes and my my adventures. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that, and I think that's powerful because I think, again, Oftentimes, when someone's faced with a diagnosis, an illness, disease, whatever it is, a traumatic event, uh, there's no time to think about how do we go about doing this? How do we manage? And so I love that you've outlined some tips and some solid suggestions for people to get through the journey, the adventure, whichever they decided it, they want to call it. What would be some of maybe the top ones, just a few that you could share with the listeners today? be glad to. The first two are almost selfish in nature. So forgive me if it sounds that way, but it really is important. And the very first one is don't be a martyr. Mm-hmm. We all have a tendency to put it all on our shoulders and do everything. And the only thing that comes from that is we wear out. We burn out. We get tired. We get ill. We get sick. And so we we don't have a, we're not very good at asking people for help or accepting help from others. And it took me a long time to learn that I needed to do that. And once I learned it, it's kind of like this light bulb went off and said, you dummy, why didn't you do this before? <laughs> but people want to help. And the one thing that I learned is when you tell somebody no, they get disappointed because they came to want to help and we we rejected them. And when you say yes, it's almost like we're uh, we're inviting them into our family, and people feel so good to give to people that need help, and you just don't realize you're that person that needs help. But it was a huge help 
to get others to make meals and clean our house and run errands for us. So the first thing I would say is, please, don't be a martyr. Mm. Let other people into your world. I love that. I think that's so powerful what you just said because I know that caregivers and the patient tend to get extremely worn out by taking on all the responsibility and trying to handle their regular commitments on top of all the things that go along with the illness. So that's a really, really great tip. And, and like you said, we don't have to feel bad about it. It's okay. And once we're given that permission, I think that's huge. Absolutely. It, it certainly made a big difference in our life. The next one would be take care of yourself. Even more so than taking care of the patient, you, you need to take care of yourself. And I learned that the hard way, which is, again, because we're martyrs, because we try to do it all ourselves, we don't take care of ourselves in terms of our eating habits, in terms of exercise, in terms of getting sleep. We just say, all right, we're supposed to do this. We love the person we're taking care of. So we'll sacrifice ourselves to take care of them. But the problem is with that, you wear down. And without the energy and without the stamina and without the ability to take care of yourself, you're not going to be at your best. And therefore, the patient, your loved one, the care recipient won't be at their best either. That's right. So you have to think of it this way. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm. And you have to train for it. And if you don't take care of yourself, you'll never finish the race. Good advice. I love that, too. Can you talk with the listeners a bit about how you and your wife handled the feelings perhaps being discouraged, fearful, maybe being confused with the massive information that comes along with the diagnosis and treatment? I don't know that you ever get away from the massive amount of information you get because every doctor you talk to and every nurse you talk to and every expert, so to speak, has a different advice. Right. And you're, you're never going to be 100% sure of what is right and what is not. And while I like to do a lot of research, and I did a ton of research, I learned everything there was to know, at least I think I knew everything there was to know about my wife's illness, there was still more information to learn and to do. And so sometimes you just have to go with your gut. You have to go with what feels right, or you have to go with the feeling that the person that's giving you the advice is the right one to listen to. There's never a 100% answer, and there's always going to be someone that you don't trust and usually you have to just let your emotions determine who that is and what that information is. But my one suggestion is do the research yourself and learn as much as you can. Talk to the doctors about what websites they read, not necessarily the ones that you know that are popular. I'll mention one, but I'm not making a comment about it. But mm-hmm. a website like WebMD may or may not have the most accurate and new information. Right. So I used to ask the doctors, the surgeons, what do you read? What, what do you go to? And I read that. Mm-hmm. So at the end of everything, I was able to actually speak in their language. In fact, a number of doctors used to ask me, are you a physician? I am mm-hmm. so far from a physician. <laughs> <laughs> but at least they were able to talk to me on their terms, and therefore they didn't look at me as a caregiver. They looked at me as a partner in the process. Right. That makes sense. And and I think that's very helpful because in my own situation of have, having cancer myself, that feeling of not having any control over anything is very powerful. And I'm sure that's the same for my family members. So when you can educate yourself and use your voice and have your opinion respected and recognized, it's really critical to that process of getting through the journey. It makes a big, big difference. 
to be as informed as you can be and on top of everything as you can be, it's it's virtually the most important, to me, the most important thing that a caregiver could do for their loved one. Very good. Can you share with the listeners some tips about how you and your wife personally handled your feelings in dealing with the diagnosis and going through the treatments and all those things? Well, my feelings I kept to myself, so I really didn't, she really didn't know too much about what I was going through, and that's part of that martyr syndrome I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Forgive me for saying it this way, but I was brought up that the man in the house is the one that's the strong one, and so I went through all of those things, again, until I wrote my book, then all the emotions poured out, but up to that point, I kept very, very internal about how I felt, and I stayed very clinical, and I didn't get emotionally involved because I knew that if she was watching me, and I, I teach a course on body language, among other things. So I made sure that she couldn't read that I was upset or disturbed mm. so that she could focus only on herself. I didn't want her worried. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a number of patients and a number of caregivers that the patient is more worried about the caregiver than they are about themselves many times. Right, right. I didn't want, I didn't want my wife to go through that, so I hid everything from her. Mm-hmm. That's a huge burden to carry. What I did is I, I burned out my frustrations and things like exercise and different things that I could do to try to take my mind off of it. And because I always try to keep the mood light, I'm, I'm kind of a jokester. I, I do a lot of practical jokes, my wife as well. Mm-hmm. And so what I tried to do is make sure that we were laughing every single day. And I always tried to make sure that no matter how bad things were, we found a reason to smile. It may sound really weird, but... It, it worked for us. For example, mm-hmm. every single morning that we were in the hospital, no matter what the situation, I would start every single day with the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, by Bobby mm-hmm. McFerrin. In fact, it's still my ringtone. <laughs> when you called me today, that's what plays. So it, we, we just do every, everything we can to minimize the stress that's involved in what we're doing. I don't think it sounds weird at all. I think it's great advice and something that a lot more people should try and implement. It really shifts your thinking when you decide to have a positive attitude despite the circumstances. And for me, I add in there having an attitude of gratitude. So suddenly you can go from waking up and facing whatever your challenge is and being depressed and sad and anxious to feeling like, okay, it's a new day, we got this, we can do this. And certainly when you're doing it together and being positive together and trying to find happiness together, it's even more powerful. It's a lot of fun. And and we used to do all kinds of crazy things. And there were times where we had to spend the Christmas holiday in the hospital, and that was rather depressing for my wife. So I... I went to a local store and I picked up all of these decorations. And while she was sleeping, uh, sleeping off her chemo, I decorated the our room from head to toe. In fact, her chemo pole became a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. So we did everything we could to change what the stereotypical life in a hospital was like. I was always buying pizzas for the nurses. I was always inviting people into our room. I was buying all kinds of breakfast items. Whenever I went shopping, I brought something for the doctors and. I did everything I could that was different from what a patient and caregiver typically did. And really strategically, I did it so that we'd be recognized. Mm -hmm. People would come into our room, they became our friends, and therefore I knew my wife would get more treatment Mm -hmm. and more care than the normal patient would. Mm -hmm. Powerful statement. But I think that you have a good point. Sometimes you have to be your best advocate, and sometimes you're your only advocate. So good stuff. I I just believe that 
if there's a way to do it better and get my wife more attention, I wanted to do it and do it in a way that I know there were a lot of people in the hospital that did it through yelling and screaming and intimidation, and that's just not me. I'm the direct opposite. I want people to spend time with us because they liked who we were. And, in fact, we just did our book launch uh, this couple weeks ago, and most of the doctors that took care of my wife, as well as many of the nurses, um, drove over an hour and a half to come to our book launch because we're still close friends with them. That's awesome. That's really great. So glad to hear those types of stories where you're building community and connection and all for a good purpose, obviously. What are some of the other things that someone would learn or find helpful in reading your book? Well, one of the most important things is record-keeping. It's very, very important to track everything that the patient is going through. One of the things I used to do is every every day that I was in the hospital was ask the nurse to provide me with the morning lab reports. And so I would look at all of the different counts that my wife was having to make sure that I could kind of get a sense as to what's move, moving along well and what's not. But more so than that, and the most important thing that, and this is an event that I addressed in the book as well, is we're human. Doctors are human. Nurses are, are human. And that means we can make human errors. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I tracked every medication that my wife was given. I knew exactly what she was supposed to take and when. And as you know, when you're in the hospital, they try to give you many pills. Mm-hmm. So they're moving quickly. They have a lot of different patients to see. And there was a time when they actually were trying to give my wife the wrong pills. And if I didn't have my spreadsheet showing what pills they were supposed to be giving her, it could have ended up being a disaster. Mm. But I was able to catch it in advance. The nurse did not catch it. In fact, argued with me to the point where I called the pharmacist and we were able to get that fixed. I think that's an important point to make, to really take ownership over your situation, especially in the hospital setting. It really empowers you to, again, going back to that feeling of not having any control over an illness or disease or something traumatic that you're going through is to know mm-hmm. that you can, you have some role there that you can take ownership and do something about it. A lot of times, again, you're, the caregiver has a tendency to be ignored. You have to find a way to get unignored. Mm-hmm. You have to be there so that when they come in and see the patient, they know that they're going to see you. And in many cases, especially when you're dealing with cancer, your loved one's going to be in un, under chemotherapy. And so... It always amazes me. The doctor talks to the patient as if the patient has 100% comprehension. Mm -hmm. But with all of those drugs going through the system and they're tired and they're waking them up and they're groggy, how can they possibly remember half the things that are being said or even a quarter of them? And so it's the responsibility of the caregiver to take those notes and write down everything that's said, word for word if possible. Anytime a doctor came into our room or we went to a doctor's office. My computer was out, and I wrote down every single word by quote of what the doctor said. And many times it was extremely valuable when I, when a doctor would say, I never said that, and I'd go, well, here's exactly what you said word for word. Mm. And they go, oh, yeah, maybe I did. It's another good point to share is to just be very aware and speak your mind and your opinion. That's so valuable and helpful, I think, for other people, especially to feel like they have a pulse on what's going on with someone it makes a big difference. It really does. Were there things that you learned along this journey so far, or perhaps you're still learning, that have been life-changing for you as far as 
realizing how you can interact differently in the community, with friends, with family, with your wife, things like that? Well, it's interesting. Timing-wise, we believe, one of the things that we we believe in totally is giving back to the community any chance we can, paying it forward or doing random acts of kindness, simple things like you're in a drive-through when you buy a dinner for the person behind you and they never know you did it. Yesterday, we spent the entire day making dinner for uh, a, a number of uh, firefighters that work in the fire station in our neighborhood. We just decided it was time for them to get a meal. So I, awesome. I, I made uh, an Italian dinner for them. We delivered it and uh, took pictures with them and gave them a couple of my books and signed them for them. So we're always looking at ways to give back to the community. And uh, again, it's selfish. Maybe we're doing a nice thing for others, but we get so much pleasure out of it that we're really doing it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I think it's also a great way to celebrate life. I know for myself that every day is a gift and a blessing for me to continue to be alive despite my diagnosis. We both feel that way. And every single day, uh, it's it's a phrase that we came up with, and and this is in the book as well, and I use it regularly. Uh, It's a phrase we, we call ESD. And it stands for every stinking day. Now, that may sound negative, but it's really not. Because what the rest of the phrase is, is every stinking day, we're going to live the day as if it's our last. We're going to enjoy the heck out of the day. Love it. And that's, that's what we do. And every single day, we, at the end of the day, we usually we're in bed and we say, okay, what was your ESD moment? And if we weren't together that day because my wife works and I work, we tell each other the best part of each day. And we always try to find something that was very, very positive in our day. That's awesome. I love that. Great idea and suggestions for others, too. What do you do, though, because we know that nothing's always good and perfect and happy. Are there things that you can share with the listeners that you do or you and your wife do together to overcome any discouragement or depression or things like that? Well, I think what we try to do is, and yeah, it does exist. There's no question about it, and the fear factor is there, and there's so many things that you have to worry about. What we try to do is minimize it and put it into baby steps. And where there could be something that's overwhelming, we try to go, okay, within the next 48 hours, what do we need to do, or how do we get past this, or the next 24 hours? Or if there's something that's really bothering us, this is a, a phrase we use all the time is, okay, we're pretty upset right now, but two weeks from today, are we going to even remember what we're upset about right now? And if the answer is no, mm. then how bad can it be? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, let's figure out a strategy to get by it because we have to get the stress out of our system so we can think logically. Right. I like that. Very good. Good point. Can you share with the listeners where they can find out more about you and how they would get a copy of your book, We're in This Together, A Caregiver's Story? Absolutely. Well, the book can be purchased right now on Amazon.com, and all they have to do is just put in Amazon Books and just type in the name of the book, We're in This Together, A Caregiver's Story, and you can find it that way. But if you'd like to follow what I do, I, I do a blog every single week. I do a caregiver tip every single day. You can go to my website, and that's www.robcares.com. That's R-O-B-C-A-R-E-S, www.robcares.com. And if you want to join my Facebook fan page, there's again, I do all kinds of things every day. The pictures of, that we took yesterday at the fire station are on there. 
I give caregiver tips. There's lots of things that, lots of conversations that take place between myself and people that follow me. I give advice all the time. If somebody asks me a question, I don't hesitate to respond. Mm -hmm. Even on Twitter, I've been every single person that asks me a question. I, I respond to each and every single one. And I'm on there all the time. I'm leaving tips virtually every hour on the hour. That's awesome and very much needed so that people don't feel alone and so that people understand that there is a way to get through these things and to handle it as best as possible despite the circumstances. There, there's so many times where we as caregivers have a tendency to just isolate ourselves and, and mm -hmm. feel alone and be alone. And that's one of the things I'm trying to help is to allow folks to know it's okay to find somebody and to talk to somebody. And I want to be that person that can help somebody when they're in need. And if they've not experienced something, odds are I have. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for me to just share an idea or a thought that could help send them on their path. That's great. I love that. And, of course, that's what we promote here at Your Story Matters is making sure that we're sharing whatever part of our story we've learned from and can help others to encourage and inspire them. So I appreciate very much that you shared with our listeners today. I appreciate the journey that you're on, and I wish you continued success in your endeavor. Well, thank you so much.